As Jeff mentioned, um, we were going to be talking about this, uh, starting our sermon series on the road back to you um, this morning, and we are going to go ahead and put that back a week. Um, We offer prayers to Pastor Brian today as he recuperates from his injuries, but we do encourage you to um, begin reading the book. Um, And um, in the book, or if you didn't get one of these separately, um, there's a bookmark that's been created that has links to a couple of online assessments where you can actually answer some questions and determine what your Enneagram type is. Um, And so there's a couple of links on here. Um, We actually, just a word of warning, we had a little bit of a trick with a couple of the the one at the top, but if you click through it, it'll it'll get you to there. But if you encounter an an issue with that one, just go ahead and and click around, you'll get right to it. We've had a lot of fun in the Petrillo house, um, even just in the last couple of days, um, as our Enneagram types have been revealed. Um, and so we just encourage you to, uh, uh, to take the assessment, read the book, have some fun with it, be gracious to each other, um, because it, uh, in some cases it, it explains an awful lot about why people are the way they are. Um, As we're not going to be talking about that uh, this morning, we are going to be talking from, um, we're going to take a look ahead to next weekend. Um, Next weekend is our Independence Day, and since we will be talking about the Enneagram next weekend, I wanted to take the opportunity to say a few words about our Independence Day on this Saturday. And if you have your Bibles with you, um, I apologize, but we're going to jump you around a little bit today. We're going to be reading from Romans chapter 5 and Romans chapter 6 and Galatians chapter 5. So if you've got bookmarks in a Bible or you've got your Bible on your phone and you can tag all those, that's great. If you've got your physical Bible with you and you want to stuff three fingers in those different sections of the Bible, that's great too. Um, we'll get to all of them. And the word of warning, we're not going to get to them in that chronological order. So sorry for those of you who are Enneagram type 1s um, and like things in the right order, but that just isn't going to happen this morning. Um, what's that? Yeah, the ortho. Yes, we are not doing the right order on those. We are going to hop a little bit, and I apologize for that. But um, let's start with a, uh, with a quick word of prayer. Dear Father in heaven, I pray this morning that the words I speak and the meditations of all of our hearts will be true to your word and will bring honor and glory to you and help us to develop a greater understanding of both you and your will for our lives. In your son's name we pray, amen. So this Saturday, July 4th, we will commemorate Independence Day. And it was 244 years ago on July 4th in 1776, that the Second Continental Congress ratified the Declaration of Independence. Ratified meaning that they approved the final wording of the Declaration of Independence. It's a common misconception that the the Declaration of Independence was signed on July 4th, and we say that. July 4th is when um, the Declaration of Independence was signed, but really it wouldn't be signed for another month yet. But July 4th, was when the final wording was approved and ratified by that Continental Congress in Philadelphia. And um, that is what set us on the course to become a nation. This document formed a collective first step 
in forming the United States of America, right? It was a statement declaring that the 13 colonies, the 13 British colonies now regarded themselves as 13 independent states. They were no longer subject to British rule. And the conclusion of the document states specifically referring to the colonies as free and independent states. And for that reason, we consider the 4th of July to be a celebration of freedom, both as a nation and as individuals. Now, as Christians, we've also received freedom, a different kind of freedom some 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins and was resurrected back to life. That freedom is the freedom from death and eternal separation from God that would otherwise result from our sinful nature. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, tells us that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Flipping over to Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, it tells us that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by yoke of slavery. So Christ provided freedom for our sins, freedom from death through his death and resurrection. Now the word freedom is obviously based on the word free. I didn't even study English in college, and I can figure that one out, right? So that word free, though, means to enjoy personal rights or liberty. Unfortunately, the word free is also an idiom to express that something has no charge or cost associated with it. And it can become easy for us to be lulled into thinking that our freedom, both as Americans and as Christians, didn't cost anything. But we know that freedom isn't free at all. And it never comes without someone paying a big, big price for it. So today, I want to talk about three things that we don't often think about when we consider our freedom. The first is that freedom requires a great deal of personal sacrifice. If you go back to the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence, five of those signers were captured during the Revolutionary War by British soldiers. An additional number of the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence lost everything during the Revolutionary War. Their homes and properties were ransacked and looted by the British, and some of them never recovered, and they died penniless. According to the Department of Veterans Affairs, and I'm going to read this right off of here because otherwise I'll crisscross the numbers, but as many as 250,000 Americans served in the Revolutionary War. And over 10,000 of them were killed or maimed in the process. Now, it's unclear if these numbers include the state militia members that served or if these were just um, those that were serving in the Continental Army. And so those numbers actually may be greatly deflated. But after the Revolutionary War, since that time, the Veterans Affairs Department tells us that over 42 million 
people have served in the armed forces to protect our freedom since the Revolutionary War. And over a million service members have died, paid the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom since the Revolutionary War. And so I'd like to just stop for a minute and ask if we have any servicemen or women, past or present, in our congregation this morning. And if we do, if you would take a moment and stand up. Yeah. You know more than any of us the sacrifice that has to be made for freedom. And we thank you very much for your service and your sacrifice. So freedom requires personal sacrifice, both as a nation, but also as Christians, our freedom required a great personal sacrifice. Jesus made a huge personal sacrifice for our freedom as he knowingly and willingly faced persecution and humiliation, brutal torture and murder. And our Father in heaven suffered a personal sacrifice as well as he sacrificed his only son on our behalf. Scripture tells us in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, it says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So freedom requires immense personal sacrifice. And both Christ and our Father in heaven made that sacrifice for us. The second thing that we want to talk about freedom is that it demands a response. We didn't do anything to be born into this country. We, most of us anyway, sitting here are citizens by birth. So we didn't pay a price to become U.S. citizens. But we have obligations to guard and defend our liberty. Obligations like this. We have to obey the laws of this country and we have to practice good citizenship by working hard and conducting ourselves with integrity. We have to exercise our right to vote. And we have to vote based on what will benefit the common good, not just our personal pocketbooks. We have to express our opinions to our elected officials. And we also have to follow the biblical instruction in 1 Timothy to pray for our elected officials even if we don't agree with what they're doing or if they aren't affiliated in the same political party that we align ourselves with, we are instructed to pray for our leaders. And we have to refuse to compromise our morals and our ethics. Otherwise, our society is just not going to function. Similarly, as Christians, we are called to respond to the price that Christ paid for our freedom by living lives that reflect that love and grace. 
the love and grace that God showed to each and every one of us so that others can come to know God as well and receive his love and grace. Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 25. So this is one of these sections where we're going to park here for a second. So if you want to turn to your Bibles on this, we can. This is going to be more than a quick hit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 starts with, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you were led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And I want to stop there for just a second, because we're going to read some scripture later that talks about the law. We are still subject to the law. Christ did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. But if we are aligned with the Spirit and led by the Spirit, Everything we do will satisfy the law and so much more. So I just wanted to add a little bit of clarification there. We are not under the law. We are being led by the Spirit, but the Spirit is not going to do anything that is going to lead us contrary to the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. So in response to the freedom that Christ provides us, We are called to live godly lives. If we don't, we have to ask ourselves at some point, what kind of relationship do we really have with God and with Christ Jesus? If we become Christians and our lives are not changed, have we really become Christians at all? Because the freedom that Christ uh, provides us was not free at all. Freely given, yes, free for us to accept, yes. But if we have truly accepted it, we'll be changed in our hearts forever. Our lives will never be the same. The last thing that I want to say about freedom today is this. It has limitations. Freedom does not mean free for all. There are limitations. We 
speak of ourselves as a nation. We talk of ourselves as being a free country. It's a free country. Do whatever you want. But we are a nation of laws. And as citizens of this country, we are not free to do whatever we please. Our freedom of speech is limited to prevent slander and libel and perjury. Our right to bear arms is limited by not concealing them and shooting them whenever and wherever we please. Our right to protest does not entitle us to damage physical property or cause injury to other people. And in short, my right to swing my fist ends at the tip of your nose. And in this age of a global pandemic, my right to not wear a mask may very well end at the tip of your nose as well. We can't just do whatever we feel like doing when it affects other people. So as U.S. citizens, our freedom has limitations. And as Christians, it is important to understand that our freedom has limitations as well. Okay, It is very important that we don't treat Christ's sacrifice as a license to sin or a get-out-of-jail-free card. I can do whatever I want because I'm covered through God's grace. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, and I alluded to it earlier, it says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law. This is Jesus saying this. I have not come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So we don't get a blank check or a free pass. We are called to stop being slaves to our sin and instead commit ourselves to living righteous lives. So our freedoms have limits, self-imposed limits, but limits nonetheless. Romans chapter 6, verse 15. We've got a few verses here too, if you want to follow along. St. Paul writes this about sin. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, to leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves instead to righteousness. I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of eternal life is in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
So St. Paul tells us in there, we are going to be slaves to something. We used to commit our lives to our sinful nature. Christ redeemed us and calls us now to commit our lives to righteousness. So whether we commit ourselves to our Father in heaven and His Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, or whether we commit ourselves to society or whatever is moving and proper and and popular in that day and age, we will commit ourselves to somebody or something. St. Paul calls us to commit ourselves to righteousness as accepting Christ's freedom. If you really want to know how to respond to the salvation provided by Jesus Christ, I would strongly encourage each and every one of you to read the book of James. The book of James is kind of subtitled as Faith in Action. It's a fairly short book in the Bible. It's only five chapters. You could go home and read the whole thing today, probably in less than an hour. But if you want a handbook for how to live in response to our Christian freedom, read that book. So this coming Saturday, Independence Day, we are going to be reminded to celebrate our freedom as a nation and freedom as a people. And we're going to be called to honor those who sacrificed greatly to bring us our liberty and protect it. But this morning, we celebrate the freedom that we received over 2,000 years ago. We receive the freedom from sin that Jesus provides us. We celebrate as Americans and Christians the freedom that this country provides us to worship him without fear of persecution. But the real celebration is for our Savior Jesus, who freed us from fear and who freed us from sin and who freed us from death. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks this morning. We give you thanks for freedom. We thank you for this nation and the opportunity to come and worship you as we please in this open space without fear of retribution or persecution. We know, dear Lord, that there are brothers and sisters in the faith who are risking their very lives to do what we are doing out in the open this morning. Dear Father, we give you thanks for your Son, Jesus Christ, for his sacrifice and for the sacrifice that you made to set us free, to set us free from death, to set us free from sin, to set us free so that we could become slaves to righteousness. We pray, dear Lord, that you will help us on that path that you will help us to remember that freedom is not free, that you paid a heavy price for it so that you could give it to us freely, so that we could accept it freely. But we pray, dear Lord, that our lives will never be the same. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer.